1: And that's what Ben Brown is here to do. He's going to analyze those numbers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now from PFF. He's the data scientist, the betting analyst. He's all that we need and then some. It's Ben Brown. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, JMV. How are you doing? What are the numbers telling you about this Colts team now, especially after last week against Philly? Oh, it was close right there, right there. And then, as the Colts teams have done more times than not this season, they disappoint in the end.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's very much the takeaway, right? I think that the the script for how they were going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles was very much there. I don't know if they earned that or if they, you know, kind of were fortunate to be in some of the right situations, especially you know in the in the in the parts of the third quarter where they easily could have put the game away. I would say, but. Yeah, they they uh, they inevitably, I would say, kind of left too many doors open, and the Eagles are, you know, very much good enough to kind of, you know, break down those doors if they get enough opportunities. So it was, you know, uh, uh, I would say a little uh, frustrating to you know, work through because it was very much a game that they probably should have won and ended up losing at the
1: end. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, no doubt. It's, it's frustrating. I saw where Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator took the blame for Jalen hurts, basically going untouched to the end zone for what was the uh, game winner. That that was something we had talked about, the, the defense, that had played better than decently the entire game and really better than decently and sometimes really well over the course of the season, but to allow, even though he's elite-level player in Jalen Hurts, but to allow him to go untouched to the end zone on a QB draw where I think everybody in the stadium knew that he was going to be the guy in charge in running the football right there. Seemed a bit egregious, I think, to say the least, did it not?
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the spot where they absolutely had to win him, right? Up front, they kind of, I would yeah. say, at least showed some semblance of being able to slow down other, team, you know, other teams rushing the football. This was, I would say, their second lowest you know, grade from a PFF perspective, specifically to their run defense unit. So it's, it's disappointing. No, no real run gaps were, I would say, filled in crucial situations. And I think that, you know, in order to get off the field, keying in on Jalen Hurts in the running game had to be the most obvious solution a, and to kind of miss that win you know, you kind of absolutely needed it. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it's, 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 it's uh, maybe I would agree with Gus Braden, the fact that that was kind of the letdown spot, but to go back to it, I still think there were enough opportunities for this offense to put it, Enough out of reach to the point where they could have, you know, come home victorious even with uh, the difficulties in their run defense.
1: Well, I mean, first down from the five after that Paris Campbell catch, and you have to settle for three. And they had many a times a a short field to work with and either had to settle for three or actually missed an attempt at three. And against a good team like the Eagles, even on a bad day by the Eagles, a day, in fact, where the Colts defense was playing, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, better than decently here, Uh, that's just the rest recipe for disaster at the end because the Eagles just kind of hung around and then took it with Jalen Hurts on that final drive
2: right Right. and that's and that's got to leave that's the bitter taste in the mouth right because very much in the third quarter they were there they had the ball you know even on the fourth and ten when you know the Eagles went for it they kind of got the sack on uh, on Jalen Hurts and took it over at the 45 yard line and then you know get sacked right away move back move back and and then all of a sudden you're punching the football once again like it's To to not get points with such short field positions or to settle for field goals off of big plays like, you, you got to put some distance in between these quality teams if you do want to, you know, be able to play from ahead and actually emerge victorious at the end, I would say.
1: Ben Brown is our data scientist from Pro Football Focus with us every Tuesday at this time on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We have been very disenchanted, to say the least, with this offense this year. And uh, yeah, kind of wonder uh, where it is as of right now. I kind of looked at the numbers, and you can back me up on this, altogether the numbers I guess didn't look as bad I thought that they would be either at the bottom or near the bottom but they're not quite there yet are they as far as where we are in the season offensively no they're not
2: they're definitely not there yet I think there was also you know um, you know some hope I would say in some ways especially offensively for what they put forth I think this was uh, you know Michael Pittman's probably like his third best receiving grade of the season I think it was Matt Ryan's second best passing game of the season so from that perspective, especially early on, they were, they were moving the chains with, with a focal point on Michael Pittman. And then they kind of got ahead and, and, and you know, kind of tried to deliver to kind of continue to deliver the football to Jonathan Taylor. That was open early on, but they didn't really have, I would say, you know, kind of a counter punch in the second half. Once the Philadelphia Eagles were able to make some adjustments uh, that, that kind of, I would say, completely shut down, you know, everything that the Colts were successful doing in the first half. And I think, you know, that's, that would be, you know, in some ways the concern of, um, you know, having, a, you know, a newer or newish, you know, head coach, offensive coordinator all the way through is some of those halftime adjustments and things where you need to kind of, you know, come up with a little bit of a different approach in the second half because you expect a little bit of a counter from, uh, you know, an Eagles defense that has been really good so far. That was the spot where I feel like, you know, that that would be to me you know, where they probably lost the game inevitably uh, from my perspective.
1: Uh, Ben, where's Matt Ryan in the hierarchy of quarterbacks in the NFL right now? How's he look?
2: Yeah, so he is uh, from PFF's grading perspective, and I'll remove, you know, some people here. I should have had this queried and ready to go for you. But uh, um, I would say he is,
1: he is, you want me to you want me to fill time right here? Want we sing a song no, or something?
2: He, he's basically thirty so this does include some other guys as well, but he's basically thirty-first in PFF passing grade when we factor in some some backups that have been, you know, graded better than him. And I'm thinking yeah. of a guy like Bailey Zappy who, you know, um, you know, has like ninety-nine or so dropbacks. Maybe that should be the cutoff, but he's, you know, right right by basically the you know, the lowest of the low from, uh, you know, a starting quarterback perspective. He's in the Davis Mills category, the Carson Wentz category, um, you know, the Jared Goff category to a lesser extent. So it's it's it, it still hasn't been great. It has gotten better and there have definitely been flashes. But um, I, I, I still don't think he, he can really be considered, you know, um the, I would say, justified in what they actually you know, um you know w- what it's not working out basically in the way that which they planned you know the offseason. season.
1: Obviously. yeah, this offense is terrible, it is and and really about about the team and you can't it's funny about this team, funny, strange, whatever, is that if something is going right, you can count on what was going right previously to break down, and right. then you know, it's just kind of this vicious cycle with his team all right the offensive line which we thought had a really nice afternoon in vegas which clearly everybody has had because of the vegas defense not being any good how did it grade out for you when you look back at that matchup with philly on sunday ben
2: yeah so it was i would say poor from a run blocking perspective right i think this was um you know the third lowest run blocking grade, uh, as a unit so far here in 2022. And they, and they definitely have not been great, you know, overall, I would say in that category. So to say that it's still the third worst is a, is a really low, uh, performance for them pass blocking perspective i think they were i would say pretty close to league average at this point i know you can point to a couple uh you know crucial sacks in certain situations but uh, i think part of that was also the scheme and play calling in that particular situation probably not needing you know play action uh in order to get a pass off in that situation so it was i would say okay from a pass blocking perspective but you know pretty poor to bad uh run blocking wise here in week 11.
1: You get a bad combination where if it's mediocre to bad for pass protection, and then you have a a quarterback that's mediocre to bad with trying to get the ball twenty yards down the field. That's a really bad offensive combination, right there. It seems
2: right, and then you're relying on maybe like a big chunk play, you know, in yeah. the running game, which was happening some last year, but it's you know it's right. been it's been tough sledding for Jonathan Taylor as well, right? And I think it, you know, in some ways, it's you know teams can key in and focus on him because there's no real threat to Matt Ryan, you know, outside of some slant routes and everything else to Michael Pittman to really be able to, you know, move the ball effectively downfield, throwing or rushing the football, to be honest.
1: with you, so Ben Brown. All right. I'm going to give you a minute and I'm going to talk. I want you to look up Bernard Ryman, the rookie, his numbers on the season, and especially as of late at left tackle for the Colts as a starter. I mean, I hate to put it to the kid like that, but, I mean, he's a starter now, so we got to look at it and look at it honestly here. Ben Brown joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He is the data scientist from PFF. All right, the the rookie Bernard Ryman, since he's been the starter, maybe just go ahead and incorporate the entirety of his numbers at left tackle this season. How do they look compared to everybody else? Yeah, so let me... Do I need, do I need to give you more time for that? I can't, I didn't find him on the first page, and I thought was nice. so I uh, he's not on the first side. page. That's not good. So yeah, yes. so
2: Bernard Raymond, basically. So out of you know, this is and this is a high. I have a high snap threshold. I should put a little bit more in. There. Yeah, he is basically. Um, he's down there, boy. Um, he is 61st among tackles. So this is right tackle and left tackle. Um, you know, so far this season an overall offensive grade. So 61st, basically. Um, so I would say pretty, pretty far down at least from like starting caliber tackle performance. Uh, he has been, uh, you know, I would say a little bit better from a run blocking perspective, but what he's offered in the passing game, you know, in, in pass blocking has been, uh, you know, very much a, a detriment, I would say overall to the Colts offense. I think he ranks, let's see here. Um, that's... Uh, it's, yeah, it's 60, you know, 67, so there are some yeah. guys that obviously got hurt as well included in there, but he is uh, very much below average in, in pass blocking specifically, but also run blocking.
1: Yeah, so not good. A lot of room for improvement. And again, Ben Brown joins us. That is just, uh, I think, overall look at the offensive line, which um, had maybe a game against the Raiders and maybe a game, maybe half a game, a little bit of a game prior to that has been a – roundly a disappointing group, no doubt about that, this season. All right, let's turn the page to defense. The defense looked good, and then the defense gave up the game winner, and then that's the lasting taste you have in your mouth about the way the defense played on Sunday. But but overall, among those other teams in the NFL, where is this Colts defense as we enter this early week of Thanksgiving play coming up on Thursday?
2: Yeah, I think I, – you know, I still think they're very much a respectable unit. They do – you know, weirdly enough, if if it's stable or not, but they still generate a lot of, uh, you know, turnover type situations, right? And that definitely feeds into them being able to get off the field. So we have them as, you know, kind of the 15th best defense right now and overall what I would call like composite grade uh, or whatever have been, I would say, uh, you know, pretty good from a passing perspective and also from a rushing perspective. So the, 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 the idea that they kind of lost it for him at the end is you know th- that is how the game played out but to even be in that situation and even to be you know a- ahead of a an Eagles team that was very much thought of as you know maybe the best team or you know the second best team in the NFL here for a long time you know I would say was a, a kind of a testament to their defense and the ability to kind of get off the field and also make some big plays so I think you know even though they ranked 15th in our um in our you know ranking I do think that they probably are you know at least on Sunday even actually played better than that I would say
1: what where were the Eagles better at doing overall offensively or defensively all right so Seriani's squads 9-1 and one, no doubt about that they had to squeak one out against a bad team and the Colts here on Sunday but where are they both offensively and defensively compared to the rest of the NFL with that 9-1 mark
2: yeah, I mean it's it's very much been the rushing game, right? I think there's I don't think there's any team in the NFL that compares to them from uh, you know from a, from either a pass block or a run blocking perspective. By far the best offensive line in football, and I think when you have you know a guy like Jalen Hurts at quarterback that does have quite a bit of ability, you know, with his rushing game, it opens up a lot of things for for an Eagles you know team that uh, you know also has some big playmakers. Um, you know at the skill positions as well so we have them basically you know top 5 uh from a from an overall offense perspective i want to say they're um a little bit lower in, in 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 drop back performance but uh do have the best i would say or, or second best you know run running and rushing uh grade so far here in 2022 so it's been you know a, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that Jalen Hurts does really well you know it, they're pressing the right buttons and they're putting him in good you know, situations. And then, you know, they're kind of riding it out at the end of the games when they're playing from ahead. So to see them kind of come back, you know, in in this particular matchup, I would say, um, you know, it's, it's just a situation where the Colts uh, very much had the best of it. uh, And unfortunately came away empty handed. All
1: right. Give me those top five offenses right now, including as you mentioned, the Eagles among those top five teams, What are the top five offenses going into week 12.
2: Yep. So from an EPA perspective, we have the Chiefs, we have the Miami Dolphins, we have the Buffalo Bills, uh, we have the Cincinnati Bengals, and we have the Philadelphia Eagles. Top five. So the four, the four, yeah. the four in the AFC, and then uh, you, you know the Eagles down there at five as well.
1: The so. worst record among those teams, I believe, would be the Bengals at six and four. Yep. Right now, I'm trying yep. to climb out of a uh, a slow start to. To say the least. All right. Well, Ben Brown, who is the uh, data scientist of the NFL for Pro Football Focus, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, anything stand out? Any other numbers that I didn't ask you about, either regarding the Colts or as we're going now into week number 12 of the NFL? Anything that interests you? you saw
2: i mean i don't really want to talk about the vikings this time i do think michael Pittman had a really good game and i think that you know the fact that he's only getting seven targets or whatever you know it is kind of an indictment on the offense and i think that you know if they kind of allow things to flow through him which they did on the first drive that's when they're most successful and that's when i think they're actually capable of being you know anywhere close to the the upper class of offensive elite teams you know, so far this season. But if they want to continue to, you know, kind of try to establish a run, you know, move the chains from, uh, you know, a rushing perspective when they don't have the offensive line to do it, like they're gonna, they're gonna inevitably, you know, end up losing games. And and maybe it's, you know, the final result is because the defense couldn't get off the field, but uh, the defense allowed them to be there for, you know, three, three and a half quarters, and really just needed probably one more score in order to, you know, emerge victorious, and that didn't happen. And I think that, you know, the reason for that is. Uh, they need to feature Michael Pittman more because, you know, Alex Pierce as well has kind of disappeared quite a bit and they really don't have the, when
1: they, when they do the crossing routes, uh, they can get the ball. But the the problem is, I mean, Pierce, they took a couple of shots down the field and uh, there's a combination of things, but it all starts with the lack of arm strength that Matt Ryan has at this point in his career. He just can't get it down there.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs, uh, but it's, you know, it, it's one of those things. But I do think, you know, there are, there are blueprints to potentially getting out of this, you know, for, from a longer term perspective for the Indianapolis Colts. And I think, you know, looking at some of the upper on teams and understanding how they're, you know, successful is, you know, I, I would say very much, uh, you know, the approach that the Colts need to take long-term now that they've kind of figured out this, this retreat, free agent type quarterback uh year in and year out just isn't going to work for them.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. I, and uh, here's the thing. I mean, you, your left tackle has been that large of a detriment. You basically have no chance. Their tight ends have been non-existent this season for the most part. That just kind of adds to it. This, this offense has been an absolute disaster. No more, no matter what the numbers say, it just, it has this year right. been a disaster right. from what everybody thought, it would give compared to the output, the production that we have seen. Right.
2: I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. You definitely hit the nail on the head because it is, you know, very much it, 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 it as much as people don't want to say, if you don't have pass blocking, especially with, you know, an immobile quarterback, like you're not going to win many football games. So that's just the truth of the matter of where we're at with the current, you know, NFL and how it's, and how it's kind of, uh, you know, progressing, I would say.
1: And your Vikings did super suck against Dallas on Sunday. What the hell happened there? I mean,
2: Go, going back to it i mean christian darasa was he uh, definitely a little banged up going into the game or whatever uh, allowed the first you know the first sack fumble like a first oh i, I uh, can't use i to, can't
1: use him any longer does, does that allow me not to be able to use him as a hey this is what the colts could have done here
2: i mean if you're comparing him to keithy QT- You know, KT Pay I think it's still probably a valid comparison because I mean and then he was out, right? And then he didn't play
1: and then and then the Yeah. Well, I mean listen, it it is it is it has been revisionist history for me too, because you know, we whined and cried about pass rushers too. So that's just something we do is go back and kind of rewrite history a little bit with some of these comparisons. But that's just one that that I have been using. But not seriously. That that was like a a Tommy Kramer led less Steckle coached offense Mm -hmm. that I saw. Right. on Sunday from the Vikings there.
2: It was, uh, you, you know, the, the Vikings are very top-heavy, and I think that, you know, they were getting the performance from Christian Derrissaw, best best tackle in the NFL graded from a PFF perspective so far, but when he's out, you know, the, the fact that Micah Parsons can kind of eat and live in the backfield, and it's 3rd and 15 every single drive, like, you're not going to score many points, and I think that, you know, the, 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 the matchup specifically with the Cowboys and Vikings very much was not in the favor of you know, the Vikings, I do think that the Cowboys kind of have a legitimate shutdown cornerback who can go and, and play man coverage against some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And I think we saw, you know, Trayvon Diggs do that in some ways against Justin Jefferson. And, and we didn't see too much of a counterpunch from the Vikings because they didn't have any answer for the pass rush going back to it, right? Because no saw no everything else. But it was, you know, a situation where they were very overmatched that day. Uh, hopefully they can you know, provide a little bit of, uh, you know, some comeuppance or something else where they can kind of, you know, figure some things out. Kevin O'Connell, you know, can learn from it and maybe they can kind of get into that, you know, upper tier of the NFC. But uh, right now I very much think it's kind of, you know, the Cowboys and the 49ers. And then uh, it it may be a step below the Eagles as well, as far as, you know, who I would consider is probably going to get out of the NFC right now.
1: Ben Brown of PFF every single Tuesday right here with the, well, more than likely in terms of the Colts, ugly numbers, especially offensively okay. with us. The Andy Moore yeah. Automotive Group hotline. What's the temperature in Minnesota right now where you are?
2: It's... Cold. It's cold. It's been like 20, 25. Years. I guess I haven't. To be honest with you, I haven't even stepped outside yet today. I'm trying to get every everything, uh, everything through. Uh, for are, Thanksgiving. Are you it's working like, from a basement? Do you work cold.
1: from your basement?
2: Oh, ba- I I work from my mom's basement. Uh, on Texas.
1: You know, I'm in my own basement. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love it. We uh, did the uh, Colts pregame show outside on Sunday morning, and it was about 15. That was right. one of the coldest pregame shows that I've I've been a part of, especially in the month of November. I wasn't really expecting it then, so there right. it was.
2: It came it came early and often, but that is my kind of temperature. I would be out, you know, ice skating or something if I could. In those, I don't
1: know how you guys in Minnesota do it, man. I don't. <laughs> I don't know it's how in you our do blood,
2: it. I guess it's in our blood. So
1: yeah. All right, and my friend, I appreciate it. You and your family have a fantastic Thanksgiving. We'll talk at you next Tuesday.
2: Yeah, likewise. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for
1: having me on. Ben Brown of Pro Football Focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Joining us now from WTHR.com, from Forbes, uh, Locked On Pacers, he does nearly everything regarding the Pacers, our friend Tony East, again with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Happy holidays to you, Tony. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, JMB Glad to be following up the uh, high school hookup intro we got going today.
1: Do you believe Do you believe in the high school hookup <laughs> Wednesday night?
0: I definitely went out on the Wednesday nights coming out of college, yes,
1: that was yeah. The I'm telling you, man. Some he and a shean has been known to happen when the flame is stoked. One more time. <laughs> All right, I'm curious. Where they are right now is surprising to just about everybody. And I think even inside the organization, they would probably also tell us that they were were somewhat surprised by, by this nice start by this team. So with that in mind, do you think that this start is changing any opinions on how they want to Progress with this team in terms of you know philosophy of trades or what have you, what they want out of this team, or is it still too early to tell, Tony?
0: Yeah, a little bit of both. You know, I think that Tyrese Halliburton specifically being this good, this fast, you know, in his second season with the Pacers, third season in the NBA, right? He's on All Star track right now. I think that has to make them think a little bit differently about maybe their timeline specifically with this core, you know, maybe they'll be better sooner than they thought. But that said, I think there is an element of it's too early to say specifically. And I say that because of the schedule they've played. And it's not just me saying they've played an easy, easier schedule, although they have and some of their harder games have featured, you know, opponents sitting out, Jimmy Butler didn't play, the entire Raptors team basically didn't play. But even Rick Carlisle said today, you know, hey, our schedule's about to get hard, right? He said that at practice earlier today. They play two home games this week against Minnesota, who's won four in a row, and Brooklyn, who has Kevin Durant, and then they have an extremely long, almost two-week road trip against several talented teams out West, and I think a lot will be learned about the team in that stretch in terms of how good their defense really is, how good they can be long-term. That's when I think the the, you know the Patriots will really know how aggressive they can be with this team, their timeline, and things like that.
1: Tony East joins us. Is there anything that you think is beyond debate that we know about this team right now, compared to some of this stuff that we're probably going to find out at a later date when that competition does escalate?
0: Uh, beyond debate, I think we know that, that uh, Tyree is really good and Benedict Batherin can really score, and that's kind of about it. You know that they, they their defense has still been inconsistent. Basically, all their veterans have had some up games, up games, excuse me, and some down games. So, not a ton I think we know for sure about this team other than maybe that Hal Burton's really good but he's good enough that their offense is always going to be really good when he does play, right? Every single time he's on the floor, defense has changed. When he goes to the bench, the other teams start playing zone. They don't play zone when he's in the game because he can shoot over it and carve it up and make points happen. So, I think that's the only known thing is that when he's out there, that team's going to be really good and really hard to stop even with the way other teams have been defending him changing throughout the season but uh that's about it at this stage you know they got a lot of young guys a lot of vets who are in new roles or trying to prove something this season that who knows how long it can be sustained for this team all
1: right tony miles and his improvement when he's been on the floor this season I, i have directly related that to Tyrese Halliburton because Tyrese Halliburton is an elite level willing passer which Miles has never played with anybody and I mean anybody close to what he is seeing right now and while being set up in these high ball screen situations I thought last night I thought Orlando actually did a good job with it last night but Miles and Tyrese Halliburton they've carved up team defenses by doing what they're doing so far and and they both seem like that they fit very well. So I guess my opinion would be, as far as Miles is concerned, do you think that 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 gives Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, a little bit of pause to think about, you know, should he not, should he be a part of the longer-term future with how these two have played together when they've been on the floor?
0: Yeah, they certainly fit great together, and you're right to point out that he's the best setup man Turner's ever had. Like the, The second best passer Turner has played with at point guard is Jeff Teague, yeah. And I think Turner was a rookie that season, right? Like, it, it not, and Jeff Teague was a good passer, but he was a rookie at that time and not nearly the level we're seeing from Halliburton, who leads the league in assists right now, right? So, if that is part of it, I think the other part of it is now that Turner is playing as the five all the time, he rolls to the basket more. He wasn't rolling to the basket at all, hardly, the last couple seasons, which has kind of unlocked a new element of his game where he's shooting around the rim and has opportunities to dunk and be more forceful. And I think that's all made his game more dynamic. This is maybe the best month he's had since his sophomore season in the league. So uh, how it changes the Pacers approach is fascinating, right? Because, yeah, he's clearly good. And if, if they're a good team, right, they're 10-6 and six right now, good teams want to have good players, right? So in theory, they'd want to keep him. But that said, I think Turner kind of said how this blueprint will go forward, right, on the Woj pod, and he said himself, they cannot afford to lose me for nothing, right? He said that about the Pacers when speaking about himself. He knows it's a business, and he's on an expiring contract. If he does not tell the Pacers at any moment, between now and the trade deadline that he will sign a contract extension even if he's having you know an mvp caliber season unless the pacers are in you know top three seed in the east and look like they could win a playoff series with Turner on their roster i think the situation is still the same as it was before the season where they have to consider moving him just because of his contract situation like he said himself you know it would look bad for them if they lose him for nothing especially if the season doesn't lead to anything significant right they they had that with, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich for example. They thought they were going to try to keep him, but you know, they lose him for nothing even after they lose win no playoff games in his final season. That's a much smaller scale example. But you know, it, it's tough to lose talented players for nothing. So outside of Turner saying, Yeah, well, I want to stay and sign an extension, this team's trending in the direction that I like, I think they still have to consider approaching things with him the same way they had in the offseason.
1: You think it all – it's its a little bit split as far as – you love seeing how more dynamic he's become, especially with this connection with, with Halliburton. And, and that is good because the rest of the NBA sees that, and that certainly right. will you know increase his value. But at the same time, can you be also torn by suggesting, you know, we probably want this type of dude playing with Halliburton anyway – and the fact that he is here right now, we have him, and we could keep him. I mean, would we want – you? Know, is I J, Isaiah Jackson, can he end up being that? Are you looking someplace else? you think there's a little bit of a, a torn situation here with, with how productive Miles has been out of the gate?
0: Absolutely. I think there has to be, right? Like the, the ideal fit of players next to Halliburton can shoot the ball from deep and can defend really well. And, hey, look at that. Those happen to be the two things Miles Turner is known the best for at his position. So if he had more than one year on his contract, I think all of this conversation would just be completely gone already, right? He clearly fits very well, fits well with the core in general, right? Even, yeah, Halliburton's been good for him, but the way he's been able to finally figure out how to play with Jalen Smith, him and Buddy Heald can play off of each other a little bit, right? All of that has made him fit really well. So I think that the, the, the... the actual change dynamics beyond Turner's future with the team is that, that they might want to re-sign him more than they thought they would have before the season started and they still could they have all the cat me- mechanisms to do so in the off season if he's willing to stay but it's you know if he goes into unrestricted free agency you always run the risk and he's a hard player to replace right he's one of the best five defenders in his position in the NBA, and the way he's scoring right now, he's one of the best 15 centers in the league, right? So, it's a hard player to replace, and it's a very risky game they have to play, but sure, yeah, the skill set fits perfectly with their their franchise player. I, I'm sure they'd love to keep him now.
1: All right, Similar situation with Buddy Heal. We talked about him just like we did, Miles, at the beginning of the season, and he's kind of shot his way consistently enough into the minds of everybody around here of, hold on a minute, maybe he should not be trade bait here. Maybe you should keep him around, because... Listen, if there's anything in this era of the NBA or really any level of basketball right now that's at the top of the list, it is shot-making ability, and Buddy Heald brings that.
0: Exactly, and he fits the opposite of the Turner thing that I just said, where he does have two years left on his deal, right? So it's not like there's pressure for the Pacers to immediately move him to to not lose him for nothing. They can still, you know, him and Halliburton are very close. Halliburton has every game of his career he's played, Buddy Heald's been on his team, right? Like, they are very close. Tyree says that... He understands Buddy Heald more than anyone in the in the world that isn't his family, that isn't Heald's family, right? Like, he's not only good, but he's close with the franchise player. I don't think, like, before the season it made sense for them to consider moving Buddy Heald so they could, you know, give more minutes to Matherin and maximize his value as a player and all this stuff. But if he's really good and fits a good team, there, there's, there's no rush anymore, right? They can hold on to him, and, and maybe his value goes up next year. Maybe the, the team does change the starting five. I don't know. A lot of stuff can change in a year in the NBA, But, yeah, same kind of deal with Turner where if they're playing this well, what's the rush? Why do they have to deal him now? He fits their current timeline of being good this season.
1: So Tony East covers the NBA and the Pacers for WTHR.com, for Ford's Magazine, Locked on Pacers. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. So what do you think actually catches up with some of these really good stories? I think uh, there are some really good stories across the board, Andrew Nemhart being one who was out last night with a toe injury. But you know, what catches up, you think, with, with some of these great stories first? Is it the increasingly tougher schedule or the advanced scouting that's going on right now to try to handle them in the future? future?
0: Yeah, I think a little of both is going to happen. You know, not only has their schedule been easy, but they haven't played a ton of like the best defensive teams in the league. The, the teams they have played that would be good defensive teams were missing guys. I think like Rudy Gobert's in town tomorrow night, maybe the best defender on the planet or one of them, right? How do they respond to that? If they are getting stopped a lot, can they still run in transition and, and play with their same identity, right? That is going to be one of the things that could disrupt the storyline and make you learn a little more about the Pacers is that sort of thing. And uh, I think the other part of it will be game planning. Ironically, I was asking Benedict Mather about that today. Like, how have you seen teams defend you differently now that they have tape on you before every game? And it's just, you know, the the pressure on him's different or they're coming around screens a little different, things like that, that he has to adjust to on a game-by-game basis. So eventually, one, one of these good defensive teams is going to, to execute a game plan that disrupts the Pacers in a way that other teams try to copy it. And then the Pacers just try to beat it. That's how the NBA goes. But they haven't hit that snag yet. And I think that it'll go in tandem where when they have this really tough upcoming road trip with some of these better defensive teams coming that are more capable of throwing more unique coverages at them or, you know, throwing the right defender on the right people to make the Pacers offense slow down, other teams can copy that. So not only will the hard schedule hurt them because, so you playing better teams, but also it will give future teams more of a blueprint on how to slow them down. Because yeah, their defense has been better this month, but I also think eventually that that will, you know, kind of be a little fool's gold when their schedule gets harder. Their offense has been the thing that's carried them. If that gets slowed down by, you know, a veteran team or a certain style, then we'll learn a lot about the Pacers and their ability to adjust.
1: I think we're going to learn a smidge coming up tomorrow night because you look at Minnesota and they have a lot of things that really can offer up issues. I mean, Rudy Gobert has in the past for Miles, and then you have Carl Anthony Towns there as well. But Gobert, I think Gobert and Miles got into it two years ago. Didn't they both That's get right. tossed in Salt Lake City a couple of years ago?
0: Yeah, that was actually last season, which feels like two lives. Oh, it was last years.
1: season? Good Lord. For the, for the, for the hell's the wrong with, with me? It feels like yeah,
0: forever ago. Any, any game where Sabonis and Levert played it feels like 10 years ago for the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was last November in Utah. <laughs> but Yes, uh, that, that did happen very recently, and historically that's been yeah. an interesting matchup because, uh, you know, dating back to when Miles was with Team USA that summer, and he said that stuff about feeling like he was the best defender in the world, oh. and then Rudy Gobert oh, yeah. pumped him, you know, three days later with the French national team. I think there's a little bit of personalness to that sort of matchup, and Minnesota's playing, playing good all of a sudden. You know, they figured out they won four in a row. They just beat Miami in a nice game uh, last night, two nights ago. I can't remember. Specifically, you know, they—they they just the way they're built. Specifically, with the Townsville Bear front court will be tough for Jalen Smith uh, tomorrow night, and they have Anthony Edwards, who yeah. you know is is one a beast and two just a kind of player in terms of being a stockier score that the Pacers have not been able to defend for years. So that, that will be a very tough match. If, if they win that game convincingly, or even, you know, find some good solutions against Chris Finch's team. I think that will say a lot about the
3: direction. The
1: yeah, I, I guess what I'm I'm saying too, it's, I mean, they, you know, you mentioned they've won four consecutive. They're just nine and eight right now, which a lot of people would eyeball that and go, well, wow, this is a disappointing start for them, but they have been their best of the season in the last four.
0: Right. Absolutely. and And the way they've been doing it too, like, Minnesota people it's hard to connect the team really quickly that changes so much when you add go bear but they had an effort problem early in the season quite frankly like I think they had a little bit of a playoff hangover because that franchise hadn't made it in 20 something years or something like that and they, they had an effort problem early in the year they were losing to some crummy teams without giving it their all but recently I think they figured that out and playing hard it, weirdly enough is kind of a skill in the NBA these days with how long the season is and Minnesota's kind of figured that out as well so they'll definitely be a tough test in a way that you know, some of the Pacers most most recent opponents
1: have not been. You mentioned too that Western Road Trip is coming up beginning on on Sunday the twenty seventh. They have Minnesota, then Brooklyn on Friday. Uh, L.A. and L.A., that's the Clippers and the Lakers, the 27th, 28th, and then Sacramento, the 30th, and we may be the only ones around here that really care, us and those in Sacramento, but you talk about a deal that I, I guess on the surface right now has appeared to work out well for both teams in this case. I Still, if you're Sacramento, you kind of look at this and go, oh, I mean, really, Halliburton? But it, it seems like that, that everybody, at least at this point, has been happy.
0: Absolutely. It's kind of hilarious to look at the NBA right now because – The only team with a longer winning streak than the Pacers is the Kings, right, who they traded with last year. So that trade appears to have been a a win-win for both teams. Now, of course, in that situation, the team that walked away with the younger player might have a better long-term outlook, which is the Pacers in this case with Tyrese Halliburton. But the Kings haven't made the playoffs since I, I saw this on on the internet the other day so i'll just use this example since before twitter existed right it's been a very long time yeah. since the Sacramento Kings played a playoff game they they don't care about the future as much they want to be good now and Sabonis has been really good for them in their last 10 games De'Aaron Fox is player of the week in the west last week right how fitting that him and Halberton got it in the same week so they're actually playing very well right now and then they also have Utah with the altitude on this road trip they've got Portland with Damian Lillard Minnesota again like it, it's a really tough run of seven games and even with like i think going three and four even would be a successful trip given how the pacers have played yeah that's what
1: like i was stuff. gonna i was gonna ask you about the seven games where, where's the success lie in wins and losses for them
0: yeah it, it, two or three i think given how i mean the lakers they're better than and that's that's the only team that you look at this slate of games and say yeah they're they're definitely better on talent wise than that team. And even the lakers if lebron's packed by then yeah, they're better, but you want to bet against LeBron James? You know, still no one wants to do that. So, it, you know, I, the line of success is, is pretty low for me. I think three would be really uh, – four or more would be awesome. Three would be a good trip for the team. Two would be like, you know, maybe the expected number. And one or zero is, of course, disappointing over a seven-game stretch. But maybe that's telling them short. We are talking about – a 10-6 Pacers team that has the second-longest win streak in the NBA right now. I just think that that run is so many tough teams with all the travel in between and time zones. They have two back-to-backs in there as well. It's about as hard of a seven-game trip as the NBA can give a team, so it'll really test the Pacers.
1: When do you expect Duarte's return?
0: Yeah, we uh, the, the, the recent thing with him is that uh, he could return during this road trip. It's unlikely he's going to play during the, the two-game homestand game they've got, but we, we've been able to see him doing a lot more, right, like in the immediate in the portions of practice. He's been uh, back in basketball shoes, getting shots up, running around a lot more, whereas for the first couple weeks he was exclusively in sandals. So I, I don't know exactly what the date would be for him, but uh, it seems like it will be uh, on this upcoming road trip, if not maybe the end of this week. And, uh, you know, just going off of Blomelo Ball, who had a great two-ankle sprain, the same injury for the Hornets, Uh, this season he missed a little under one month like one day less than a month so Duarte got hurt on November 4th perhaps like very early December we could see Chris Duarte back on the floor
1: they pleasantly surprised as of late with Aaron Neesmith
0: it has to be right he had his best career game uh Saturday They, they lose that game without Aaron Neesmith certainly because he made the play of the game to to give them the winning points but not only is he, you know, playing the defense he did with the Celtics, he's hitting threes at like a reasonable rate, and he's dribbling the ball more than he ever did with Boston. Like every part of his game that they would have hoped he could add to or sustain, he has. Like, and you need wings in the NBA. He's not the tallest guy, but he's done a great job in an easy position. It's impossible for them not to be pleased with him, given that. You know, he wasn't really that much for the Celtics in his first couple of years. And he's been very solid for the Pacers so far.
1: So Tony East talking Pacers. You think that um, maybe some decisions, harder decisions, might be made depending upon how they view that trip successfully? You think anything, <laughs> or is that still too early?
4: Uh, no,
0: well, the thing about the timing of that trip is it ends December you know eighth, and yeah. most of the, most of the players that can be traded in the NBA become trade eligible on december 15th so like that's when teams start to really lock down their assessments think about what their future looks like and trade season's month long it's not like they have to make every decision right then and there but no they will know their situation better other teams will know how good the pacers and their players really are like it, it won't be firm but i think they'll have a much better idea about the hard decisions they'll have to make and this season's very unique in that you know they've exceeded expectations by every account even probably internally This stage, and yet they still have all these hard decisions to make about their long-term future. Right? They said before the season, you know, we're thinking differently now. We have a more long-term approach to team building. You know, we'll, we'll find out if the Pacers still can feel that way if their team is as good as it looks like it is so far, because that can be tantalizing to to continue to try to run it with the team that you have that's winning and. You know, winning over the hearts of fans that have seen a a crummy team for the last couple seasons. Like, I think we're going to learn a lot about how the front office used this team in the next couple months. Yeah,
1: well. I, I, and the owner too. I, I guess. Right, I, right. Yeah. I mean, kind of kind of curious about that. And I, and I guess I'm thinking about this, Tony, before I let you go here. You got the twenty eighth, and you know they're back to back in LA, the twenty seventh, the twenty eighth. But with the Lakers, and and who knows whether or not that is you know, still in play. But that was you know, a rumor regarding Miles that never has gone away. I, who knows if there's legitimacy to it? But you know a lot of people are saying, hey, is that somewhat of a dress rehearsal, depending upon how well Miles plays in that game? I, I don't look at it, I guess, that simply, but it is certainly a layer of interest on the twenty eighth in LA.
0: Of course, it's going to be the story for Buddy as well, right? Yeah. It was funny to hear. I brought this up twice already, but when Miles did the Woj pod interview, and uh, it was two days after the Pacers played on ESPN, and, and him and Buddy Hield both had really good games against the Wizards on national TV that night, yep. he he said that you know they were joking on the team bus about like all the funny tweets about them going to a different team that night because they played so well on national TV. Right. And I say that all to say, you know, they are aware of the situation, right? Well, and
1: then that proud. Monday miles had the worst game of all time too. So
0: yeah. worst of it, <laughs> the, the worst timing to have that game. Yeah. He's been yeah. fantastic ever since, ironically enough, because he was really crummy that night in Bad. Brooklyn, but they're all very painfully aware of the situation, right? So they know they're playing the Lakers. They know they're playing in LA. This coming weekend i'm sure i don't know what they want or what what their long-term outlooks specifically are right now it'll have to be very fun to be playing on this team right now which of course makes you think about different things but yeah i absolutely think that will be a story of that game and if they play well or if they beat the lakers by 20 all that stuff's going to heat up again especially because you know you've seen a lot of murmurs recently about the lakers kind of changing their thinking since westbrook has been moved to the bench he's played a little bit better for them but at the same time they don't care about russell Westbrook playing well they didn't win with lebron james on their team and they're still not winning so uh that game will be very important for potentially you know a big game from heild or turner and reigniting those talks in a way that you know i've been happy that they that they've died early in the season so i can talk about basketball instead of potential things that might happen but yeah. at the same time i understand why that game specifically could reignite some things
1: isaiah jackson going to be available tomorrow
0: night Uh, We'll see. It turns out he hurt his foot landing very late, like one of the last possessions of uh, the game against the Magic on uh, Monday, so we'll see if he's able to go. It doesn't sound like he practiced at all uh, today, so we'll see if if that's the case. I think he's still doing some testing to see uh, if it will keep him out or anything like that. He's been pretty good at recovering and being able to play through stuff, but Not necessarily
1: a rush. They've got some depth at center. We'll see if he's able to go. He's uh, Tony East, Forbes, WTHR.com, Locked On Pacers. So much more covering the Pacers, and he does it uh, greatly, no doubt about that, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if you're playing a role tomorrow night in high school hookup Wednesday night, but (laughs) if you do, enjoy it. Okay, enjoy it. Okay, don't enjoy it. Stay (laughs) at home and enjoy what you're doing at home. And we'll catch up a little bit later on in the season. Tony, thank you.
0: Thank you for having me, Jamie.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw is with us now. All right, what do you think? Uh, somebody had asked me if I would go through the French team and pronounce their names as if I was from Greene County. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> that Mbappe can really play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say what, that guy rude, man. He's got a sweet beard.
1: I'm, you, I'm trying to look at their jerseys right now to see their lineup, but uh, – I, I don't know enough of them, I guess, to uh, and, to get and
4: it. I, I, I want to hear you roll through a uh, <laughs> did Ayer Deschamps as their head coach. I'm <laughs> oh, and that was oh, Leon
1: that, Kyleon Mbappé. He's he's a good one, right? He's good. He is very good. Yes. Day De, Dayad Upper Encano. He's fantastic. I'm I'm okay, going uh, Usman. De- point,
4: sadly. In what's that? I'm not even sure which one you're talking about on that one. So Usman
1: Dembele, De- De- Dembele, yes, very I'm close. The yeah. In the ballpark, Usman right Dembele. there. <laughs> <You did well. laughs> that would be a lot of fun, right there. But you know what? You're great at this, and you know this like the back of your hand. But you're you're from the uh, just as the same kind of deep woods Southern Indiana as I am. So you got over all this pronunciation stuff. Well done.
4: Now, well, thank you. I appreciate that, and and it's you know years of practice at doing it. So there is something to have done, like you know nine years of professional soccer. And I was actually the MC for the Old Oak and Bucket Luncheon today, the and they were reading off my bio as they were introducing me, and they said twenty plus years, and I go, oh geez, I have to update that. I'm about to hit thirty years <laughs> in the next year or two.
1: Now was that the, at the Columbia Club per usual? Yep.
4: That was at the Columbia Club and that's our buddy Dan Thompson and Uh Pete Quinn and Pete was the speaker and Mark Deal was the speaker and uh it was a fantastic get-together. I know you've had the pleasure of mm-hmm. being there in the past, and it was a good time today.
1: I think I did it one time, and they go, all right, none of this. Let's just give this to Rakester all the rest of the way. And I completely understood. I showed up in basketball shorts and everything, so I, I completely expected that.
4: They, 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 they felt that you looked so out of place not wearing basketball shorts. <laughs> they thought, you, like, shirt and tie, that doesn't look right on JMB. Exactly. Greg and, and we know that Greg would looking for a free lunch. So all right. So, Some...
1: Some French guy with a header, and France is up 3-1 over Australia right now in the 70th minute. Hey, honestly, you got a Black Friday matchup at 1 o'clock with USA, the Americans versus England. What has to happen to give a, a more than reasonable opportunity to put Team USA in a position to move on? What has to happen frankly, for them?
4: Frankly, what's more important is what happens in the, in the Wales and Iran match or that, that day. Um, and and there, again, I, the U.S. can lose and still be okay in terms of getting out of the group stage. Um, goal differential might play a part, at least in England, because they kind of ran it up on Iran in winning 6-2 in yesterday's match. Um, but really, I think it's just as important what happens between Wales and Iran as it is the United States and England. Um, if the US, if U.S. can pull a point from the England match and then beat Iran, they will be in fine shape, which is kind of the path they took 12 years ago, when they were in the same group as England, Slovenia, um, as well as then Algeria, they drew the first two matches, then beat Algeria on the dramatic Landon Donovan goal late, put them in the round of 16 some 12 years ago. So. They could do something like that again this time around, too.
1: Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Right now, France is scoring more than I did at the Red Rose Formal back in 1993 at Indiana State University with the A.L. Pies. Four consecutive goals. How unheard of is that in terms of this level of soccer?
4: It's not because France is the defending World Cup champs. France is really good. In Australia is probably one of the bottom four or five teams to qualify for the World Cup. Um, I would put us kind of mid-pack in terms of World Cup teams. Australia simply isn't there as a soccer nation. They're kind of even behind us in terms of adopting the sport and having a professional league and and kind of level of international play. So it's not unheard of. Again, England put up six yesterday against another one of the backmarker teams. Frankly, the France um, score right now with Australia, the England-Iran score yesterday makes what Saudi Arabia did to beat Argentina all that more remarkable. That is truly, and maybe the best tournament you can compare this to is the NCAA tournament. I liken like USA-Wales to like a 6-11, 7-10 game yesterday. Yeah. Saudi Arabia would be a 16-1. Beat Them beating Argentina, that is one of the – most remarkable results in the world cup in a long time
1: that's like a um umbc type of deal right there is that what that Correct.
3: is yeah.
4: and, the, and the only other thing and, I, and i've even forgotten which team they beat at this point but cameroon in 1990 scored a first round win that was like that and i and i I've, I've forgot at this point whom, whom they beat oh, i think it might have been yeah.
1: argentina because i think i think uh, alexi lawless called them cameron today i don't know if he meant to do that or he didn't but it was pretty funny it sounded it, like it, me. It,
4: it, it <laughs> could be them too. So uh, that Rutgers education Alexi has it's paying off for him. That's me, so. uh,
1: Greg Raystraw with us. You're going to be busy coming up on Friday and Saturday as well. What games are you calling in this high school football title?
4: So I have the nightcaps each of the next two uh, each of the next two nights. So I've got six uh, A with Centagrove and Carol of Fort Wayne at, on uh, that's the Valley Sports Plus game because of the Pacers. It's the one high school state final, not on Valley Sports Indiana. Got to go to Valley Sports Plus on that one, or you can watch it pay-per-view at ihsatv.org. Then I will have the Whiteland Warriors versus Valparaiso. So, John, nice. I'm, I am resuming a role that I had 20 years ago. I'm back to being the sports voice of Johnson County for two nights.
1: That's nice, though. It's It's really great what Whiteland has done this season. Yep. What a spectacular year.
4: And Darren Fisher is, is so well-liked. Uh, he, he plays a prominent role in the Indiana Football Coaches Association, and he has been so helpful with other coaches across the state. There's going to be a lot of people rooting for Whiteland now. Valpo's Bill Marshall's a great guy, and that's a really good program. And probably Valpo's played a slightly tougher schedule. The Mid-State Conference is getting better at all sports. The Doonland Conference that Valpo's a part of is probably maybe the third or fourth best league in the entire state um what strikes me about all these matchups john is that you get a lot of teams that like to run the football and i don't think we're looking at many blowouts in in kind of the way this shapes up um you know the schools that we thought were were kind of favorites new pal got knocked off then ron collie who beat them got knocked off probably Chattard would be i wouldn't say a prohibitive favorite but a favorite against lawrenceburg in 3a but i think for the most part we're looking at really competitive close football games on friday and saturday
1: you and I both agree, and we've known him for a while, and he's one of my all-time favorites. Is this the best coaching job of the career of Eric Moore at CG?
4: The only one I would put up there with is the first time he made the state championship game because that was in his second year. I think he was either 5-5 five and five or 6-5 and five in his first year back in 99, and then in 2000, you know, they beat mighty Ben Davis uh, kind of at their pinnacle because the next year James Banks would lead them to a state championship in 2001. And Center Grove found a way to beat them, and while they were playing in the Mick at the time, they hadn't really established themselves the way they have now. But yes, you know, for example, I can rattle off, you know, Taven Jackson, Tennessee; Caden Curry, Ohio State; uh, shot Michigan State; Carl Biddings, Louisville. In terms of major college talent off of last year's team, well, this year has Jalen Thomason going to Ohio, and that's it. I mean, th- th- this is just a really good high school football team that has gotten the benefit of they've not lost in the last two or three years. Those kids always expect to find a way to win. But secondarily now, this is the fourth consecutive year they have made the 6A state championship game, which they joined you know, Warren Central back in the 5A days as the last school to have done that in the largest classification. What they also then have is they have played the full 17 weeks, as Eric has put it the last four years, or as I would phrase, it, they have gotten an additional four or five weeks of practice every year. And that benefits those kids that were second and third stringers the last couple of years that are starters. Now um, they're, they're reaping the benefits of that over the course of this last month and a half or so.
1: He is Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore automotive group Potline. Uh, Carol has an incredible story and an incredible feat of knocking off previously unbeaten Hamilton Southeastern last Friday.
4: Yeah. Both these teams are, are, are playing for a cause and, and for, for Carol it is Owen Shealy uh, who was set to be their starting quarterback this year. Died very suddenly of leukemia. Uh, that happened on June 7th. He really was only diagnosed a, a couple of days before he died. He, he, he kind of fell ill late in the school year, unsure as to what was happening. And by the time it was kind of diagnosed, it was sadly too late. Uh, and so they will carry his number 13 uh, jersey with them on the field. They have done that at every game this year. There is some amazing symmetry. You know, his first name is Owen. He wore number 13, and here they are, 13-0, and 0 going into the state championship game. Um, Not many folks, probably myself included, gave them a chance of beating Hamilton Southeastern, and that they did in in winning 21-15 on Friday night. Uh, They become the first Fort Wayne school in the brief 10-year history of 6A to play for a state championship. And if they're good enough to beat HSC, they got a shot against Center Grove come Friday night. Trojans are clearly the favorite, but, uh, again, it's not just – Numbers and X's and O's as to why Carroll has gotten to this point this
1: year. Do you have a most intriguing matchup in those two days at Lucas Oil Stadium? You
4: know, I I think almost like last year, the one A game might be the best one. You know, because it's Lutheran and Adams Central again, and one A was the bracket just because of how it was laid out, where seemingly, you know, the 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 seating kind of held. It was the top four teams in the state that made it to the semi-state games with Lutheran beating North Decatur with. Uh, Adams Central, Besting, North Judson, San Pierre. Those two teams largely return intact. Lutheran's had some changes from last year. Um, But we've got rematches in both 1A and 2A. And that 1A game will be an awfully good game come Saturday afternoon.
1: I want to switch gears quickly before I let you go to college basketball. And not so much about what we have around here and the teams that people really like, but because you're down around the Louisville area. And obviously, I used to watch a great deal of Cardinal basketball. They're down 13 at the half on their way to starting 0-5 in Maui, uh, there is really a legitimate chance, I saw this from Jeff Goodman, they could start 0-10 on the season. I know that everybody around there with Kenny Payne and knew that they were going to be bad, but is this a level of bad that is (laughs) detrimental for Kenny Payne and that staff?
4: Yes and no, and and the reason being is that it is so much easier to quick fix job here. You know, the runway that Tom Crean was given where it took until year four for them to make the NCAA tournament. And for the most part, people weren't griping or complaining. You know, they kind of knew that was going to happen because of where that program was. And U L, probably not to the depths of the Kelvin Sampson era, but not far from it because of that constant specter of, of, of NCAA probation was kind of hanging over their head. But now, I mean, you tell me, NIL money will not be uh, a problem in terms of getting players to come to U You can dial up the transfer portal and get you five new starters if you feel really you need it next year. Uh, you know you're going to come play in front of a 20,000 seat arena. If you win a couple of games in a row, that place is going to be packed. You're playing in the ACC, and so it's. I think it's embarrassing. But do I think it's like some sort of catastrophic blow they won't recover from? No, you can literally go out and get yourself a brand-new roster next year and be more competitive. That is the different landscape in college basketball and in all of college sports, but especially in basketball you've never had before.
1: Hey, Greg, did I use double overtime win in East Lansing this past Saturday make this bucket game more intriguing than, well, the direction in which it was going prior to?
4: Absolutely it did. Uh, it gives Indiana a chance. Indiana showed a pulse. And I know the Michigan State's not great. I get that. Uh, but, but it gives IU some form of hope after having had seven consecutive losses. I'm really curious to see kind of emotionally where Purdue is in this game if they know that the Big Ten championship game is not in the cards for them. You know, because of the unique nature of that Iowa-Nebraska game being the outlier and being played on Friday. If Iowa has that wrapped up, does Purdue come out a little flat, just because that has been for the last six weeks? You know that is after the Minnesota win, it's been like, hey, Purdue might make the Big Ten championship game. And even if we think it's going to be ridiculously one-sided, whoever comes out of the West isn't going to compete with whoever comes out of the East. There is still that carrot, that nugget to be, hey, you're the first ones to have done this, and now the 12-year history of the Big Ten championship game. So you know because of that, um, if if that can't happen. I'm curious if if like the emotions kind of run wild for IU and they've got a legitimate chance of winning this season. So Purdue's clearly the best team. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win on Saturday. And I think what's at stake for Purdue is going to play a large part in that game come Saturday afternoon.
1: So, Greg Gregstra with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How about all this Sirianni going, you know, to the stands and then saying what he said and getting that for, for Frank Reich? All that stuff I understand. I just don't want people to get lost in the shuffle with all this conversation that what happened to Frank Reich was, in my opinion, completely and utterly justified. Take nothing away from that.
4: I agree with you completely. I have no problem with Nick being emotional because Frank is his guy, and I got zero problem with him sticking up for his dude. At the same time, it was fr- it was time for Frank to go. So if, if Nick wants to puff his chest out about it, it does not bother me a bit because that's loyalty to someone that has been a mentor to you. But as all of us can tell you locally, it was time for a change here. So I, I'm a big fan of Nick Sirianni, even though I disagree with, I guess, his take on the situation but I don't mind that being his emotional motivating factor for the way things played out on Sunday afternoon. I think
1: most of the uh, Colts fans around here will be rooting firmly against them in the postseason, which gives gives you a little bit of something, I guess, once they reach the postseason in the NFC. Quickly, Uber Facts, Greg, your favorite song is most likely your favorite because it's associated with an emotional event in your life. Is that true with you?
4: I would assume so, yeah. I mean, now now you say that, I'm like, I'm not sure that I would be able to rattle off a favorite song, but I can give you, like, a genre and a time period, which is associated with, like— my- right, just give me I one. Give me I one as an
1: example pattern. here. Give me one and see if Uber Facts is, facts is accurate in their, in their tweet. Wow. Um, okay, I'll start because I know I kind of sideswiped yeah. you here. Uh, Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street is right now my okay. favorite song of all time. I don't think it's associated with anything emotionally. No. No, other show. than me, the you know, first time I heard it was on a K-Tel 8-track. I don't know how much emotion I garner from that. Second favorite song right now is Ebony Eyes by the late Bob Welch. That was also a K-Tel. Maybe it's something with k and 8-tracks back in the day.
4: I so yeah, I, I think if you it on an 8-track, there's this emotional yeah. tie-in Third? that you have. I mean, You know me, my music tastes tend to be you know, late 80s, early 90s mm-hmm. hip-hop and sure. rap. Yeah. So, so being like apparently the only dude that can say French soccer names and enjoy rap, being from Harrison County, is just kind of the unique nature of my makeup.
1: Welcome to the Boomtown, David and David's number three on my list right now from the '80s, from 1985, you know, 1986.
4: I, I think the Dave Ramsey show is about to start. Just like when I hear, <laughs> you know, when I hear, you know, Welcome to the Jungle, I think, or I, I, no, I'm sorry, the song that I most associate with the Jim Rome show. Is Iggy Pop. Yeah, I'm Iggy Like I'm flipping around Sirius XM and I hear less for life and I keep waiting yeah. waiting to hear live from Los Angeles. Right. I, and I never hear it. I'm like disappointed half the so time.
1: So Dave Ramsey starts with Welcome to the Boomtown? Well,
4: not Welcome to the Boomtown, he starts with Baker Street. Oh, I didn't million. know that. I've never uh-huh.
1: well, you know, that's that's either uh economical or political. And you know, I'm not listening to that. Understood, yes. But
4: as as someone that uh and I'm not espousing for either of them. Right, but as someone that helped bring that show to Indianapolis, you know, I hear that song. Trust me, it's muscle memory in my mind. <laughs>
1: All right, man, have a great call coming up on Friday and Saturday, and then we'll uh, talk to you. I'm sure coming up on Monday as well. You and the family have a great Thanksgiving. You do
4: the same. And as I heard you talking earlier, you enjoy not working on this Thanksgiving. Yeah. Enjoy the
1: day. It. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, man. Yep.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. He's the head coach of the Greyhounds of UND. Off to a blazing start, nationally ranked in D2. He is Paul Casaro with us. How you doing, coach? Good John how are you I'm just going to go ahead and and put the proper respect of these results so far in this early season where they need to be all on the shoulders of michael Burris <laughs>
3: You already know it. You already know it. He gets all the credit. <laughs> all
1: credit going to no. Seriously the, the, though, congratulations.
3: The, the brain trust. That's what we call him. Yeah, yeah. I know that
1: that everybody and especially coaches, you're probably going to tell me when I say this that It's early season, a long way to go, but man, you can't have a great season. Uh, oftentimes most of a a great season comes with an early season start i mean it can go haywire but most of the time you start off well in an early season that kind of paints a portrait for you a blueprint if you will to move forward on the rest of the year and you guys have uh honestly gotten off to a fantastic start where besides michael burris do you look at and go wow this has really worked out well so far
3: you know i think we've had a nice mix of um, our returners and our newcomers blending together. Our returners have done a great job leading by example. Um, you know, the way they finished last year, they, they, they came into the center, came into the season, understanding what it takes to win and how to go about it in our program. And then we brought in some talent, really talented guys to complement what we were bringing back. And, they need to learn the way UND does things. Well, our leaders, our returners have done a great job being leaders, and our newcomers have been humble enough to embrace the way we do things, and their talents have shown because of that, and it's just a really nice mix. It's
1: Paul the head coach of U-Indy with us. Offensively, how have you been? I know sometimes it's tough to to really get off to a good start offensively, but from some of the box scores I've seen, you guys have had in-game some significant high-level runs offensively. It looks like you're off to a good start in that category. What say you?
3: We are. we're, We're taking care of the basketball, but really it starts with our defense. You know, uh, we're actually number six in the country in, 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 in opponent field goal percentage right now. Like, we're something like only giving up like 33% from the field. So, with that, um, it, spark- it ignites our offense because, you know, if, uh, if the ball keeps going through the net, it's hard to get out and transition. But by getting stops, getting rebounds, you know, getting turnovers, we're pretty long, we're pretty athletic. So, it allows us to get out and run and get some easy buckets, and we're pretty efficient when we're playing with pace.
1: Yeah, last time you were on, we were talking about those exhibition games with D1 teams, and you have experience in doing this. And back on the 15th, it was down in Bowling Green, Kentucky against Western Kentucky. What did you learn overall about your team from that game?
3: They're going to fight for 40 minutes. I mean, and, and, you know, for, you know, if you look at, you know, you try to break things down and, um, you know, that team had NBA length. They had 7-5, you know, two guys at 6-8 start. They had an Indiana and a Kentucky transfer coming off the bench, so that tells you how good they are. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we fought for 40 minutes, gave them everything they wanted. Um, you know, at, at the, at the four-minute media in the first half, it was 27-27. They went on a run at the end of the first half. They're up 38-27 um, at halftime. Well, then at the four-minute media in the second half, it's 62-50, to so they only beat us by one at that point. So, for the first 16 minutes of each half, we played them even essentially, and you know their their, their length uh, made it tough for us to get some buckets um, in the last four minutes of each half. I mean, that was probably the only team we'll play, play this year play this year that um, is bigger than us. Well, we played a team this past Saturday in Grand Valley that matched us in terms of size, but in terms of legitimately being bigger, uh, that was the probably the one team we'll face. But we fought for 40 minutes, and for you know 32 of the 40 minutes, you know we played them even. So
1: Paul Casaro, the head coach of UND, nationally ranked, starting out this season, and spending a lot of time recently on the road, you get to know a little bit more about your group when you spend as much time as you guys are spending right now, and really, I think going all the way right through the twenty eighth to the beginning of December with road games.
3: Yep, five straight. If you count our exhibition, we had you know we have our uh, who scheduled that for you. Who do we blame for that? Hey, that was that was Burris. He's our scheduling guy, so you know, we give him a lot of credit. We also got you know, to sit down and have a talk with him. But,
1: uh, I wonder if he ever had five straight on the road at Olney. I bet. You know, bet I, not not.
3: He, he probably scheduled all home games. He's trying to, he's trying to put me through the ringer. But, uh, you know, we, we played on Sunday at Grand Valley. Yeah. And, you know, we, we tip off against Northwood here in a few hours. So then, you know, we go to Quincy and Truman. So five straight on the road. Um, you know, it is a challenge, you know, but I, I love the time we get to spend with our guys, you know. Uh, get to know them better. You know, after we got a huge win on Sunday, Jarvis Walker on our team, the transfer from Purdue Fort Wayne, he's from the Grand Rapids area. So his family hosted us uh, for our post game meal over their house. They made some homemade barbecue, rib tips and baked beans. It was delicious. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is cool and it's team building stuff. And, You know, when you're winning, which we've been fortunate enough to do for the most part, aside from Western Kentucky, it makes it even that much more enjoyable.
1: You tip from Midland, Michigan tonight versus Northwood at 7 o'clock. A little bit about what you're going to face this evening.
3: Yeah, they can really drive the basketball. They're a driving team, very athletic, scrappy. um, You know, and and we're going to have to defend the bounce to be able to beat these guys. Uh, Conversely, I think we're going to have to – uh, try to feed it into their bigs. Their, their guards are really scrappy and are going to make it tough for us to score on the perimeter. Uh, but I, I think our big fella Kendrick uh, can really get it going. So hopefully he can have a big night for us.
1: Yeah, then you're at Quincy Saturday on Monday on the road at Truman. And then finally Burris get you back at home. To start December. Thanks a lot, Burris. Hallelujah. Get you back home. You know,
3: we're we're going to have to reevaluate his job description you know, here pretty
1: soon. <laughs> no doubt about that. But not, the, the good thing about it is you, you come clean, as you have so far, come clean through this particular five-gamer on the road. I, I know that it wasn't in, in Western Kentucky, but I'll leave that to the side because it was an exhibition. But if you come clean in these games, you got to feel really good about yourself going into December.
3: Yeah, yeah that, that's that's correct, you know, but we just got to take it one game at a time. You know, tonight's Northwood, uh, that's our entire focus. we got to come out ready to go. Winning uh, winning on the road is hard, no matter where you're playing or who you're playing. So we need to be really focused and and, and have a great start to tonight's game and focus on these 40 minutes, and then uh, tomorrow, you know, wake up and focus on the next game. So just continuing to take it one game at a time.
1: Uh, you know, uh, your former fellas didn't get it down on the road, unfortunately. Uh, down at East Central this past Friday. Your Ron oh, Cowley yeah. squad, yeah. Cool here, Oh, no, great, great year. year yeah, I completely agree. And that was – listen, East Central's tough. That was going to be tough for them, and they knew that going in. But
3: uh, – You know, Coach Q, Coach Q was a teammate of mine uh, on the football team at UND, and, you know, it was his first year to make semi-state in year one. He's going to do a really good job there.
1: Yeah, well, and there's no doubt that that, that particular team – and I know that they, they always have expectations. When you put on that, that uniform over there, the expectation's just going to follow you around. But I, there's no doubt he did a fantastic job in year number one there. No question. Paul Cassaro, the UND head coach. Later on tonight, Northwood on the road at Midland, Michigan. And uh, thank you, assistant coach Mike Burris has five consecutive on the road for him. Saturday at Quincy, Monday at Truman, and then back home on the 1st of December versus William Jewell. Paul Cassaro on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, tell Burris I said hello and uh, yeah, go get him later on tonight. Stay clean on the road. We'll catch you back here. Hey, thanks for having me on. Good talking to you. You got it. Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's
0: 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State
1: Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, Exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.